you're being faithful today, and I know that uh, uh, folks are traveling. This is traditionally a, a high-volume uh, traffic holiday, and uh, of course a lot of people on the roads and so forth, but uh, I appreciate your being here. And uh, if you take a vacation this summer, that's, a, that's fine and good. Just don't take a vacation from the Lord, amen, and uh, <coughs> be faithful uh, to the Lord's house, and uh, that will be a benefit to you, encouragement to others. Psalm 130, if you have the Bible with you, if you'll stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 130, Psalm 130, we'll read uh, the entire psalm, and it's uh, only eight verses, and so... Uh, You'll uh, look at it with me. Verse 1, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Verse 3, If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there's forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Verse 7, let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. I want to draw your attention back to verse number 3, where the psalmist said, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities. The title of the message this morning is simply this. If God marked my sin. If God <coughs> marked my sin. And let's pray. Father, I pray that you help us this morning. Thank you for these who gathered. I pray that you help us, instruct us, encourage us uh, by the preaching of your word. Oh, what a blessed book we have. And uh, may we not get used to it. May we, uh, <coughs> may we uh, understand how much you love us just from the fact that you gave us your word to instruct us and to help us. And Father, if there's one here who doesn't know Christ as his or her Savior, I pray that you'd help them to understand that, uh, that there is a God in heaven who loves them so much so that he would give his only begotten son to die on a cross so that we could have eternal life. Father, I pray that you'd bless our people together now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. <coughs> and how many of you have seen uh, a fireworks display of some kind in the last uh, few days? All right. If you haven't, you've been walking around with your eyes closed at night. That's uh, because they've been <laughs> everywhere. <coughs> we were uh, uh, I was sitting in the living room the other night, and uh, I'm, I'm sure it was, was Thursday night, 4th of July, <coughs> and uh, I thought either these are the most impressive fireworks displays ever or we're under attack and don't know it. Uh, I'm telling you, man, it was. Uh, I'm not sure what was more impressive, the sights or the sounds of it. <laughs> But uh, but anyway, it's been a it's been a great week, and of course, appreciate the good choir song about our country, and and uh, I love America, and it's been a good week of uh, uh, of talking about our country and our freedoms, and uh, this morning I want to direct your uh, your attention. This is not a patriotic message per se, but it's applicable to all of us, because in the 130th Psalm, it is one of what we call the a, a Psalm of degrees. If you have a uh, a reference Bible, there may be a header uh, uh, just at the beginning of Psalm 130. As in my Bible, it says a song of degrees. Now, those, those headers, per se, are not inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it does give us some insight about the psalm itself. God's people 
would sing songs as they traveled up to Jerusalem for different feasts. Now, when I say travel up to Jerusalem, literally, regardless of where you lived in the nation of Israel, if you went to Jerusalem, you were going to travel up. Not up in the sense of north, but up in the sense of altitude, because Jerusalem, city on a hill, <coughs> on a mountain, and so when God's people went to Jerusalem at various times of the year for feasts or, or uh, special observances or gatherings, they would travel up to Jerusalem. And so many of these later psalms would be sung by God's people as they ascended the mountain to Jerusalem. And uh, that's why they're called psalms of degrees or psalms of ascension, if you will. Uh, they would also sing these songs as they ascended the steps of the, uh, of the temple uh, after the temple was built by Solomon in later years. The message this morning centers on the psalmist as he goes from a condition of desperation to anticipation. So look with me, if you will, at verse number 1 of Psalm chapter 130. He said, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Now keep in mind, many of the psalms were written by David, but not all of them were written by David. And so it's unclear if this is one of uh, the psalms of David or not. We're not exactly sure about that. But what is clear is the fact that this psalm is descriptive of everybody in this room this morning. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you're, uh, uh, if you're having a good day or bad day or kind of a eh, so-so kind of day, whatever the case may be. <coughs> this psalm describes all of us at some point or another because look at what he says. He said, uh, he said, unto thee, O Lord, or out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Fact is, we're all flesh, and we're all sinners, and the best of men are men at best. And the first thing I want you to, uh, to, to call to your attention this morning is this, our desperate awareness. Our own desperate awareness. Look what, it, look what he said, out of the depths have I cried. Out of the depth. Now, the psalmist said, Lord, I'm crying to you. I'm calling to you out of the depths. Now, the word depths is a very interesting word because it's used several times in the Bible. Most of the time when you read the word depths, D-E-P-T-H, it's talking about the depths of the ocean, the depths of the sea, if you will. Sometimes you read the word depths and it's talking about the depths of hell. Sometimes you read the word depths and it's talking about the grave. Sometimes you, there's one occasion in the Bible where it talks about the depths of Satan himself over in the book of, of Revelation. But no matter what context you use, the word depths is describing one thing, a desperate situation. A desperate situation. And here the psalmist is crying out to God. There is a desperation about his cry. There is a, uh, there's a sense of urgency there. But what I want you to see, first of all this morning, is this. My depths should cause me to look up. My depths should cause me to look up. Look at what he said. Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Now, if you're in a hole somewhere, or you're in the depths of the ocean somewhere, or you're in, uh, at, you know, Jonah cried out, the Bible talks about Jonah crying out, from the depths uh, my soul cried out, and so forth. 
Uh, you got no place to look. You got no direction to look when you're in the depths, but up. That's where we ought to look. Hey, when we're down and discouraged and in the depths of circumstances and in the depths of, of uh, whatever it is that plague us, we need to look up. In verse number 2, he said, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Not only should we look up, but my depth should cause us to cry out. To cry out. What is your depth this morning? What is it that causes you to look up or should cause you to look up? You know, the problem is sometimes we, uh, we get ourselves in a pickle. We get ourselves in a, in a situation sometimes. And the, our first instinct is to try to get ourselves out of it. Our first instinct is to try to weasel out of it or scheme our way out of it, do our own thing to try to, to help our own situation. You know, understand there's times in your life where you can do nothing to help yourself. There's going to be times in your life and in my life when the only thing we can do is to look up and to cry out. To look up and say, God, I know you're out there. God, I know you haven't forgotten about me. God, hey, God, here's a good time for you to come and help me cry out. And that's where the psalmist was in this situation. What is your desperate situation? Whatever it is, two things that you can do, look up and cry out. However, this morning, in the case of the psalmist, his desperate situation was not because of something that happened to him. Apparently, it was because of something that he did to himself. Look with me at verse number 3, our text verse, Psalm 1, chapter 130, and verse number 3. The psalmist said, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? He is keenly aware of the fact that his plight and his depths are the result of his own sin and his own wickedness. Sometimes our depths are self-inflicted. Sometimes we look at our situation, and it's not just because of the, well, it's just life. Sometimes it's because we did it to ourselves. We did it to ourselves. He said, God, I'm in a mess. God, you know everything. God, there's nothing hidden from you. God, you've seen the sin that I've committed. God, you were there when I broke your law and you've every right to be angry with me. God, your justice demands a punishment for my sin. Look at it, verse number 3. He said, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities. Now, if there's one thing that we know about the Lord, we know there's, there's several of his attributes. And one of the things about the attributes of God is the fact that he knows everything. He's omniscient. There's nothing hidden from him. There's nothing that he doesn't know about. Can I tell you something? If uh, uh, that, that sin that you committed that, you, that no one else was there to see, God saw it. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God saw it. God, look, God knows about every thought that, that crossed your mind, everything that you, uh, that, that you dwell upon. God knows what it is. God knows what your heart meditations are. God knows what your motives are. God knows what your thought processes are. God knows what schemes you think of. God knows, he knows everything about every single one of us. And by the way, God is not only omniscient, but God is holy and righteous. And God has every right to hold what he knows about us against us. <laughs> That's sobering thought, isn't it? Because God is just and because God is holy, he has every right to hold against us everything that he knows about us. 
You know, when, when one of our law enforcement officers uh, arrests someone, they give them what they call the Miranda rights. And uh, you have the right to remain what? Silent. Because if you give up the right to remain silent, anything that you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Hey, I can, God's one up on that. You don't have to say anything. God knows what you're thinking. <laughs> he knows what you're thinking. He knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts, the Bible says. And as the judge of all the universe, he doesn't have to read us any rights because he knows what we're thinking. And, you know, the psalmist here said, God, if you should mark my iniquities against me, I can't stand. If thou, O Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? The psalmist here said, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know what a sinner I am. I realize that I'm not much. He said, I confess that I have fallen way short of your righteousness and holiness and glory, and I'm not worthy of the least of your goodness. By the way, that describes every single one of us. Every single one of us. And he said, Lord, if you hold my sin against me, who can stand? That's where you and I are this morning. Lord, if you hold my sin against me, I cannot stand, I cannot serve, I cannot survive, I cannot sing, I'm not fit to live under the scrutiny of your justice. Hey, let me tell you something. If we ever forget that we're sinners that have been made saints, we're in trouble. Don't ever forget where you came from. I'm talking about, as David said, Lord, you, you came and you lifted me up out of the miry clay. And you set my feet upon a rock and you established my goings. And David said, Lord, <clears throat> I'm nothing without you. That's what you and I are this morning. Every now and then we need to be reminded of that. You know, sometimes I find myself sounding like my parents. Anybody like that? As we get older, we tend to, we tend to repeat things that we heard, you know, 40 years ago. And so, uh, one of the things my, my mama would say, she would say, son, don't ever get too big for your britches. And uh, for a long time, I wasn't sure what that meant, Brother Dave. And, you know, every now and then, things like that that I heard my parents say, I find myself, I catch myself. I'll say it to my kids, and I'll say, wait a minute, when did my dad get here? And <laughs> but you know what? It's a great statement. We ought not ever get too big for our britches, spiritually speaking. We ought not ever get to the place on a spiritual level to where we forget that we're just sinners saved by grace. Oh, yes, according to the biblical definition of a saint, we have a lot of saints in this room. We are saints positionally, but not because of who we are, because of who Jesus is. I'm justified by faith. God looks at me just as if I had never sinned. But it's only by the good grace of God, and it's only because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross and in his death and burial and resurrection. Hey, I have no goodness of my own. All the goodness that is in Kevin Dale is the goodness of Jesus Christ who saved me. That's it. And if we ever look at ourselves beyond that, thinking that we're something, we're too big for our spiritual britches. Now, if the Lord should mark my iniquities, if the Lord should hold them against me, 
If the Lord decided that my usefulness to him were to be based on my own worthiness or my merits, I am in trouble. I'm in trouble. Notice the scope of the question. He said, who shall stand? Who shall stand? It's rhetorical because truth is, none of us could stand. Not a one of us. You say, well, I'll have you know, I'm a, I, I'm a, uh, I have a pretty good spiritual resume. Well, anything that is on your spiritual resume that is good is negated by the fact that I'm a sinner. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. Who do we think we are uh, putting ourselves on a pedestal when the truth of the matter is, if God should mark one of my iniquities, I couldn't stand. Now, that is the desperate reality that the psalmist finds himself in. That's the desperate awareness that he has. That brings me to number two. Not only his, our desperate awareness, but I want you to see number two, God's abundant forgiveness. God's abundant forgiveness. Look at verse number four. Psalm 130 and verse number four. He said, but, again, you see the word but there, and you preface it by the previous verse. If thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee. God's abundant forgiveness. His forgiveness exceeds my iniquity. <laughs> if thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, God, I couldn't stand. But wait a minute. There's forgiveness with thee. God's forgiveness exceeds my iniquities. In verse number 3, he references my sins and how awful they are, but he quickly adds in verse 4, God is a forgiving God. Listen to me this morning. Your list of sins and iniquities may be impressive for all the wrong reasons, <laughs> but I'll promise you that God is able to forgive whatever your list of sins is. You say, oh, preacher, I'd love to be saved, but I don't think God could forgive a sinner like me. Hey, I love what the songwriter said. I don't know what a sinner you are, but I know what a Savior he is. I don't know what, what all you've done that have violated God's law. Look, the Bible says I don't even know how wicked I am. That's the truth. I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, we were talking about, the, the matter of God's forgiveness. If you took, uh, you, you think about all of the sins that you can remember that you've committed, which I'll probably challenge you, if you started down to list all the sins that you ever committed, we probably wouldn't list a tithe of them. We would list a very small percentage of them. God knows every one of them. Now, by his grace and his mercy, he's cast them as far as the east is from the west and buried them in the depths of the deepest sea, and, and he's promised to remember them no more. But that's a testimony to his forgiveness. But if you could list all of your sins, and you took the 7 billion people who live on planet Earth right now, and you could list all of their sins and add them all together, and add to that all the people who've ever lived from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden all the way to the present day, and add to that all of their sins, hey, let me tell you something. That's a whole heap of sins, but let me tell you something else. Your list of sins would be impressive, but I'll promise you that God's ability to forgive exceeds the lengthiest of lists of sins. Saul of Tarsus was a pretty bad dude. <laughs> you read the first several chapters of the book of Acts when you start reading the narrative about Saul of Tarsus and what he did to persecute the church, the early church in the book of Acts. You see where he, uh, he would uh, throw people into prison and he would have 
people beaten. And yes, he was an accomplice there to, to Stephen in his death as, uh, as Stephen was stoned to death there in, in, in the, Acts chapter 7, I believe it was. Who was there holding the coats of the men who stoned Stephen? It was Saul of Tarsus. That was, that was his life. That's who he was. He was, he was not a good guy. He was uh, a, an enemy of the cross by his own testimony. He, uh, he threw people in prison. He had people killed. He had people tortured for, because of their faith in Christ and their testimony. But let me tell you something. It was Saul of Tarsus who later on uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 15, now he's the apostle Paul, and he said this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, Paul said. He said, I'm sinner number one, chief of sinners, head honcho sinner is what Paul said. But wait a minute, God is able to forgive me. His forgiveness was greater than my sin debt. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7, in whom, we in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Oh, my soul, this morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ, uh, God will forgive you by, because of his grace and his mercy and because of what Jesus did for you. If you're here this morning and you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, hey, stop beating yourself up because of your past. Stop beating yourself up because of what happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. God can forgive a persecutor and a blasphemer like Saul, if God can forgive a slave trader like John Newton and cause him to write the words, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me, if God can forgive a low life like Mel Trotter who stole the shoes off the corpse of his little girl so he could buy another drink of alcohol, hey, if God can forgive those men, I'm saying his grace is good enough and sufficient enough and, and well capable of saving you. Now, again, not because of us, but in spite of us. God doesn't look at you this morning and say, you know what, there's a good guy right there. I think I can save him. He doesn't do that. God's grace and God's forgiveness isn't contingent on my goodness. Because, again, I don't have any of that of my own. So we see, first of all, <coughs> our desperate situation, our, our, uh, our uh, uh, desperate awareness. And then we see, number two, God's abundant forgiveness. His forgiveness leads me to fear him. Look at verse number next, number four. He said, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. His forgiveness leads me to fear him. His forgiveness leads me to forgive others. Look, uh, this whole idea that now that I'm forgiven, I can live any old way because, hey, God's grace is sufficient and God forgives of everything. Therefore, I can do whatever I want. No, sir. My Bible says that the attitude of someone who's been forgiven by God is it leads me to fear God. Leads me to fear God. My dad was good to me. To this day, my dad's good to me. He's not able to express it like he once did because of declining health and so forth. But my dad's always been good to me. You know what? When I was a kid, I wasn't afraid of my dad, but I feared my dad. There's a difference. I didn't go running from him when he came in the door because I was afraid he was going to, I don't know, Unless I've done something I shouldn't have done. <laughs> Let me qualify that. <laughs> On the average day when my dad got home, guess what? I was waiting for him with open arms. I was ready to 
do whatever. I mean, if he was uh, if he was wanting to shoot baskets in the backyard, that's what we did. If we're, or to throw the baseball or football or whatever, or uh, watch Andy Griffith together or whatever it was. Hey, that was a wonderful thing. But I did fear my dad in that when I violated his laws, I knew that wasn't a good thing. And friend, let me say something about God's forgiveness. When God forgives us, when God brings us into his family, we talked about that adoption in Sunday school this morning. We talked about God's acceptance of us in Sunday school this morning. You understand, now that I'm his child, his forgiveness leads me to fear him. Or it should. Should. His forgiveness leads us to forgive others. Hey, we see, first of all, my desperate awareness, his abundant forgiveness. And then I want you to see, finally, this morning, my expectation for the future. My expectation for the future. Look at verse number 5. The 130th Psalm, verse number 5. He said, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. In just a few short verses, the psalmist has gone from the depths of the awareness of his sin to a hope for the future. Let me tell you something. There's a hope for your future this morning. You may be in a desperate pit. You may be in the depths of despair this morning because of something that's either happened to you or that you brought upon yourself by your own sin. But let me tell you, either way, there is hope for the future. There's hope. That's what the psalmist said. May I say this morning, the only way that can happen is through Jesus. Hope is in Jesus. Your past may be embarrassing. Your past may be full of regrets. Your present may seem dark and doubtful. Your sins may seem despicable and damnable. But I'm here to tell you this morning, there's a God in heaven who can take you and me from the depths of depravity to a home in heaven. And not only that, but a life down here that's worth living. That's our God. That's the God we talked about in Sunday school this morning. About the blessings of being a believer. Hey, that's the God who's rich in mercy, the Bible says. That's the God who loves me. That's the God who uh, has a purpose for my life. That's the God who has a will for me this morning. I don't care who you are. don't care where you're from. don't care what you've done. There is a God in heaven who has a plan for the remainder of your life. He does. God hasn't forgotten about you. God hasn't forsaken you. Look at the element in verse number 5 that gives us hope. Psalm 130, verse number 5, he said, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. You know, it's been said many times, the future is as bright as the promises of God, and that's true. Your future is as bright as your willingness to base your actions and attitudes and decisions on the word of God. That's it. Your future, your hope. Now, notice what he said. The, the prerequisite for the hope of the psalmist was the word of God. He said, in thy word, or in his word, do I hope. Your future is going to be hopeful and bright and uh, a fulfillment of the promises of God if you'll base your future on the word of God. See, sometimes we're guilty of wanting our cake and eating it too. <laughs> or having our cake and eating it too. Sometimes... We want everything, we, we want all the hope of the word of God, we want all the promises of God to be fulfilled in our lives, but we want to go about our lives our way, and it just doesn't work that way, friend. You see, God's hope fulfilled in my life is contingent on me hoping in his word and living my life according to his word. 
someone said, when all else fails, read the instructions. <laughs> How many of you fellows have been there before? When all else fails, read the instructions. It's called Christmas Eve in the average house in America. <laughs> Here's this, you know, we get this thing that, <coughs> you know, dangerous words, okay? Some assembly required. Yeah. Yeah, we've all been there. I think I've told you the story about when uh, when the Lord sent us our first child. And uh, we went out. <coughs> everything was done in the baby's room except for the crib. And a crib is a very simple thing, amen? At least it looked that way on the box. And uh, brought that thing home, and I <coughs> it was a Sunday afternoon. It was about uh, oh, 3 o'clock when I... I said, I'll have this together before it's time to go back to choir practice. It won't be any big deal at all. And uh, when I got home from church, it was still it was still was a mess. When I got up the next morning, it was still a mess. And uh, my wife, in her own sweet way, <coughs> because she was I mean she was trying to help me, she said she said, honey, maybe did you read the directions? Who needs directions? Who needs instructions? You don't need directions. It's a crib for crying out loud. Simple structure. You throw the mattress in there and burp him and put him to bed. That's what it's all about. You know what? If I had read the instructions or even the first couple of instructions, I would have saved myself a whole lot of grief and a whole lot of heartache. I took that thing together. I took it apart, put it together about three or four times before I read the instructions. You know what? Our lives could be so much more simple if we just lived them by the instructions. God promises us hope. God gives us direction. God gives us his, his, his promises. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line, all the blessings of his love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. Now, only if I'm willing to follow the instructions. Your future is as bright as your willingness to take or base your actions on the word of God. You know, it worked for Moses. It worked for Moses. Uh, if thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, O Lord, who shall stand? Remember Moses? Some people don't remember this, but Moses was a murderer. Hmm, yeah, that's in your Bible. He murdered an Egyptian. When Moses was 40 years old, he got angry <coughs> Uh, at an Egyptian who was unfairly treating one of his fellow Hebrews, and he, he killed him. The next day, he went out, and he saw two of his fellow countrymen arguing with each other, and he separates them. Hey, guys, we're brothers. We're better than this. Separate. Knock it off. And one of them looked at Moses and said, what are you going to do, kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Huh? And Moses ran for his life, ran from Pharaoh for 40 years until God brought him back to deliver his people. But what, Oh, God did bring him back to deliver his people. You know why we remember Moses the deliverer and not Moses the murderer? I'll tell you why. Because if thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Who does Moses think he is? Who does he think he is leading two and a half to three million people across the Sinai Desert? I'll tell you why God used him again because God did not mark his iniquities. I'm not condoning Moses' actions and his sins. I'm saying there's a God in heaven who in spite of Moses' past and in spite of what he did said, Hey, Moses, I can use you again. I can use you again. Hey, who is that? Who is that guy? Who's that guy 
preaching over there. That guy, yeah, yeah, that guy over there preaching. Oh, that's Peter. And he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Who does he think he is? Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost? Hey, just a few chapters or a few uh, pages back, we see Peter cursing and swearing and saying, I don't know who you're talking about. We see Peter, the guy who said, hey, guys, I'm going fishing. I'm done with this whole disciple stuff. We see Peter who's warming his hands by the devil's fire, and somebody came to him there as Jesus was being uh, uh, tried in, in, the, in the priest at the home of the priest, the, the Caiaphas, the high priest. Hey, aren't you one of those disciples? I don't know what you're talking about, man. I don't know what you're talking about. Somebody else comes by. Yeah, I know you. You're one of those, you used to be a fisherman, and yeah, every time I saw Jesus, I saw you. Go away, man. What are you talking? Leave me alone. Mind your own business. And again, somebody came by. Hey, your speech bereft you. You're one of them. You're one of those Galileans that hung out with Jesus, and he cursed, and he swore. That was Peter. And now, just a few days later, he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. I'm not condoning Peter what he did to, that, that, that drove him away from the, the uh, fellowship with the Lord. But I'll tell you this, it's because God didn't mark his iniquities. If God marks our iniquities, none of us are going to stand. None of us are willing to serve. Not a one of us is willing to, is, is, is fit to preach. Not a one of us is fit to sing. Not a one of us is fit to praise the Lord. Not a one of us is fit to serve in any capacity. But wait a minute, there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. The message this morning is very, very simple. If God marked my sins, <laughs> we're, all in we're all in trouble. If God marked my sins, not a one of us is fit to serve him. But you know what? Because he's forgiven us, because Jesus died on the cross for us, because of everything that God did to make salvation available to us, he's not marked my sins against me. Gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Now my soul is clean and in my heart's a song buried in the depths of the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. Hey, if you're saved this morning, your sins are gone. Your sins are gone. And because your sins are gone, not only do you have a hope of eternal life, but you have, you have a hope of a future that is useful to the Lord, useful to God. You're somebody in God's economy. God's not marked your sins against you. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Father, I pray that.